Wow. For those who don't know me, you miss me. <laughs> At my peak, I was good. It's a long time ago since I peaked. You know, someone said, in fact, it was um, someone here's um, son-in-law, who was one of our trendy Elim ministers, um, who's thin. There's not many Elim ministers who are thin, but there's a whole generation of new ones coming through who are skinny. And he said, uh, one of his strap lines at the leadership thing was, when your memories are more exciting than your dreams, you've begun to die. And I thought, it's okay for you, but when you're my age, you've got a lot of memories. <laughs> and I've got to say, I walked in here today, and forgive me for those people who have come here in the last 27 years, <laughs> when Margaret and myself was, were here, um, but just to walk in and to see some great old friends and to just notice things. And just, if you would bear me just two minutes just to say um, to one or two people, just specifically, we got saved many years ago. I'm almost 50 years saved, sat in a corner over there. It's Anne Hinks, um, who recently lost her husband, Stuart, who were part of this church many years ago. And um, Stuart preached the night I got saved on December the 7th, 1968. It's great to see Anne here. Great to see Kay Neal, Gordon. I remember walking on Boxing Day with Gordon Neal. We had, a, we had an outing, and he first spoke to me about the possibility of becoming the church worker here. Not, not a pastor, just the church worker putting the chairs out because we wanted to sack Sid Hibbert by then because, you know, he's, he was never sober. So we, um, we were thinking of replacing Sid with a young, virile man and um, never happened. And uh, I, it's great to see Kay here and people. Neil was one of my, Neil Hort, one of my early heroes here. He was the youth leader who I had the unenviable task of trying to take over the youth after Neil handed over the baton to me. And um, it's just amazing to see people. Great to see Rob, an old friend of 40-odd years or more, and everybody else. And once you start mentioning names, there's people you're going to forget. But is it okay this morning? Um, the biggest frustration, well, not the biggest, but one of the biggest frustrations of my job, I go to a different church every week, and I've got just about one and a half hours to say something, and then I'm not back for years. In fact, it's probably the longest gap. I must have preached really bad last time I was here. Um, but I've got a word that's on my heart that I believe. But when Dave prayed, Kev's going to come and minister to us. Well, I tell you, if you let Kev minister to you, you're not going to get much today. But if you let God talk to you, there's a chance that some of us could change a little bit this morning. And my frustration is with these one hits. I've got this little window of time when initially I've got to try to connect with people who haven't got a clue where I am and who is this guy and whatever. And so I know that's part of the challenge, but I want to I bring something that I believe is a challenge. And here's the phrase I want to share with you in just a few moments. Focus on finishing. And I want to say to you, off the bat, when you look at me, I'm not talking about ending your life well. Because the truth is, I have got more in the rear view mirror of life than I have in the windscreen. It's a fact. There's more behind me, but I want to tell you, I do believe I've got some exciting things ahead of me. 
There are things that God wants to do with people like me in their 40s and who... (laughs) Sorry? The only person who's not changed is Phil Shaw. (laughs) By the way, he was on my youth team 27 years ago. He looks no older now than he did then. I, I am convinced he must have a picture of his mother in his loft with some mystical qualities that keeps him young. I don't know how that works. But, you know, we're coming to that season where many of you my age are going to the doctors to get your flu jab because we're going to start the days when we're going to get flus and coughs and colds. And, you know, when you go to the doctors, they invariably prescribe to you when you're not well, they prescribe to you a course of antibiotics. What does it say on every single packet of antibiotics that you've ever taken, what does it say? Speak back to me. Finish the course. There's a problem, Derby. People do not finish the course. We take a few tablets, we start to feel better, so we drop the tablets, we have a rush of faith, God's in heaven, I feel better, I don't need the pills. So we're now facing a world crisis that they're saying that there are strains of diseases that are going to come. You know, 100 years ago, you could stub your toe and get an infection in your toe and you'd be dead within 24 hours without antibiotics. But because we don't finish the course, we're getting immune to antibiotics and they are the, the, the doom slayers out there are saying there could be almost a plague of deaths because we are getting immune to the drugs because we don't finish the course. And I want to talk to you in just a few moments, not about finishing life well, even though that's important, but God gives us a task to do. Here's my observation as I travel around the country. Many, many, many Christians have a great idea, start something, but don't finish it. Now, some of that is just purely our fault with laziness. But I understand that when God gives you a strategy, when God gives you a job, when God gives you something to do that's specific, the moment you go on that journey, we start a battle. And we're in a war. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And the truth is, we have an enemy who wants to abort whatever it is we should be finishing off. And if we lose our focus, at the NLT, one of the buzzwords that John Glass used to say to us was, focus, guys, come on, focus, focus. I sit next to Gordon Neal and we mess about a little bit at the NLT and, and often Gordon would make me laugh and then John Glass would tell me off, um, Kevin, focus. Let's focus. But my, my challenge to you this morning as we're going to look in the Bible in just a moment, we will get to the Bible, is a challenge to you. Do you even know why you're on this planet? You may be here and you've never, ever had a living relationship with Jesus. At the end, I want you to think about that because maybe that might be the start of your focus today. But for those of you who say that you are Christians, what are you doing here? Time goes quick, doesn't it? Time goes so quick. And we don't get it back on this earth. 
And we've got to focus. And I am believing that God will speak to us today, not just to challenge us, but to hopefully get us back to focusing. Because sometimes we just lose our focus. And we need to just... Dave was saying, let's focus on worship. How many meetings get so much better when worship goes well? How many more times does God speak to us through the word? How many times do we come in and we, oh, I can't bother to worship? Turn your Bibles with me to Judges chapter 8. Judges chapter 8. Most people don't talk about Judges chapter 8. Most people, when they're talking about Judges, talk about Gideon and his mighty men and the big battle. We're picking the story up. There's been the big battle. You know, his small group of 300 men have taken on 135,000 Nottingham Forest supporters. And no, the midnight, they, they took on these people and they have successfully killed 120,000. I tell you, if that was in the Christian world today, they'd be on God Channel repeat permanently. It would be, wow, what a great victory, but the job is not finished. His job was to destroy 135,000. There are 15,000 of these enemies of God still around, and his job is to get them And in chapter 8, the victory is over. And I want to suggest just three things in this passage. Because I said to you earlier, there are many significant reasons or oppositions to you and I finishing our task. There are so many things that happen. We we realize that we're in a battle. And I want to talk about three of the biggest obstacles that will stop you. It's all right, me. I don't particularly preach up a storm, but go, yeah, let's, let's go and focus on finishing. I'm telling you, these are the three things that have stopped millions of people finishing the course, what God has given to them. Hear me again. I'm not talking about life. I'm talking about the task. I had the task here for four and a half years of being the youth leader. There came a time to stop. I went to Glasgow and I I finished my time in Glasgow. And and then I became a regional leader. In a few years' time, this role will finish. There are seasons where God says, that's enough. You've done the job. Time to, to pick up the next job. But my question is, do you know what your job is? And my second question is, have you lost focus? And is, have, you got, have, you, have you hit the drift button? And we're just drifting through another year that's coming to an end. So let's just have a quick look. Just a couple of verses. We'll read four verses, then a couple of more verses for the sake of time. Chapter 8 of Judges, verse 1. Now the Ephraimites asked Gideon, why have you treated us like this? Why didn't you call us when you went to fight the Midian? And they challenged him vigorously. But he answered them, What have I accomplished compared to you? Aren't the gleanings of Ephraim's grapes better than the full grape harvest of Abiza? God gave Oreb and Zeb, the Midianite leaders, into your hands. What was I able to do compared to you at this? Their resentment against him subsided. And verse 4 we'll spend a bit of time on in a moment. Gideon and his 300 men, exhausted, yet keeping up the pursuit, came to the Jordan and crossed it. See, I said it again. 
Gideon and his 300 men, exhausted, yet keeping up the pursuit, came to the Jordan and crossed it. Now we'll turn to verse 22. The Israelites said to Gideon, Rule over us, you, your son, and your grandson, because you have saved us from the hands of Midian. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. We pray God will just bless us as we look at these wonderful words together of a man who focused. His job wasn't finished. He'd got something still to do. You know, I'm reaching that age when I'm in my early 60s, very early 60s, and uh, you're starting to think about the future. And Gordon MacDonald, in his book, talks about um, about the resilient life, talks about questions we ask ourselves in the decades. And he talks about the 70s as being the decade um, when you're in your 70s, when you start to be thinking about your one last task that you want to do for Jesus and the, the, the last big hurrah that you have in your life. And um, I just really pray, whatever age we are today, I've noticed some of my friends, like me, they're looking older. Not you, but those, the odd one, two of you looking a bit older. But, uh, but wherever you are, the young people here, focus on finishing. My youth, I always remember Barry Killock, when you came, Barry, once to speak here, and I was the youth pastor, and you said... The churches, I remember you won't remember saying it, but you said, the church is as big as it was when I was here with Brian Edwards, but where are all the people who I knew? And the truth is, some have gone to heaven. Since I was, was the pastor here, one, one of the pastors, the assistant pastor here, some of the people have gone to heaven. That's, that's okay. Having a better day than us. But sadly, there are many people who were part of my youth group, people who maybe have been prophetic, whatever, but they've not finished. They've lost their focus and they've got focused on their career. Not a bad thing. But it seems to me that we're living in a decade. One of the big things that we're talking about in Elim is the lack of disciples of Jesus. We have never seen, in my opinion, the commitment level of the church less than it is today. I don't know your church, but in my regions, um, those people, when I was in the Brethren, we went to church five times on a Sunday. Not once. Five meetings. If we weren't there, Anne Hinks told us off. No, she didn't. But we live in this day where it seems like, in my earlier days, it seems like your life revolved around your Christian faith. We seem to be living in an era where Our Christian faith now revolves around our life. And something in that picture needs to be challenged at the very least. So here we are. Could I give you the first obstacle is what I believe is Satan's weapon of mass destruction for the church. I believe this is the biggest single killer of people's destiny in life and You may not be a churchgoer. I think the same principle allows anybody who pops your head above water and tries to make a difference anywhere is this. First weapon that the enemy uses to try to stop you is in verse 1. Criticism. This bloke, Gideon, 
has just led an army in one of the greatest victories the world has ever seen. 120,000. And the, these pesky people in verse 1, the Ephraimites, you may be aware, they were the BBC. They were the bigger, better, cheaper tribe. They were the largest tribe. They were the people who, uh, they expected everything to revolve around them. And Gideon had dared to go to war without them. And so what they have done, if you read the book and the chapter in the previous chapters, they have conquered two kings. Gideon, 120,000 Midianites killed in this corner. The Midianites, the, the, the Ephraimites, they're, they're, they've just taken two people, but they're having a right go at him. They're having a right go at him. And it says there in verse 1, and they challenged him vigorously. If you are bold enough to go to serve God and bold enough to take steps out of the boat and bold enough to go to do what you believe God is calling to do, listen to me, I'm not being negative, but you will face criticism. I'm sorry. It's part of the job. I walked in here today and I saw so many people. I've got to say, I was close to tears. I just I had to go and stand at the back for a few minutes just to compose myself. I was just feeling just overwhelmed with all of the memories and all of the, the amazing good things. But you know, there were one or two things here that weren't great. I remember when I worked the overhead projector. Remember the overhead projector? Oh, those were the days. I think it ought to make a comeback. And I was sat just about here, and I was just, just the, the, the little youth pastor at the time. And at that point, Gordon had got this really oh, awful person called John Hutchinson. Remember John Hutchinson? And he just announced he was leaving and going to Dewsbury. And uh, I sat by the over projector. And I won't say who, because this person's no longer alive, so they can't defend themselves. But this person came to me, and I'm just putting away all the... the he says, excuse me, the Bible says you've got to talk the truth in love. I'm always nervous when you hear that phrase. <laughs> That's the point to get, get ready to run when someone tells you they're going to talk, talk the truth in love. And this person came to me and said, I want to tell you, Bible tells, speak the truth in I wish you were leaving and John was staying. I'm from Shadow. Why would, why would I want to go anywhere? And I remember my first ever day. I got, I got prayed for here by a man called Eric McComb. And the next morning, I think Neil's probably the only person in this room who can verify this story because everybody else is no longer with us. And, uh, uh, and I remember I arrived for my very first elders meeting. And back in those days, to get in that door, you'd either got to have been really naughty, if you were in there, if you were naughty, only Kath got in there, because she was secretary, she was in there a lot, and it's my first ever meeting, so I, we went out together, and I bought my first briefcase, because I'm now a minister, and you have to have a briefcase. So I went out to buy the briefcase, there was nothing in it, but I came with the briefcase because I want to be a proper pastor. And I remember coming to the Holy of, of Holies. 
So I'm going to turn right for the very first time to see what's behind there. And I'm thinking there's going to be a Shekinah glory. Instead, there was a framed photo of Brian Edwards. No, no, there wasn't. But I got in there, and I'm about to sit my little new MIT pastor's bottom down. And I'm wondering, him, I wonder what great debates are going to talk about the church. Well, I asked to be, take over, be the evangelism man to see Darby saved. And uh, Gordon said to me, Kevin, don't sit down. We've received a complaint about your appointment. <laughs> oh. They sent me out. <laughs> but little did they know, I knew if you went down to Sid's Grotto, <laughs> if you go under Sid's, it is still there, if you go under Sid's Grotto, you can hear what they're talking about. <laughs> you don't come from Chano for note, me duck. of the people here were great to me. But I tell you something, criticism. I I moved to Glasgow, and I'd been there six weeks. I'd preached my best six sermons. And I have an attack of what I could only call stupidity. And so I said, come on, church. We've been here six weeks of you now. How many of you wish you still had a Scottish pastor? Every single person put their hand up. Even Margaret put her hand up because she was homesick and wanted to come back to Derby. I become the regional leader. Whoa. And I have to sometimes go to pastors and tell them that what they're doing isn't right. And so I went to one of the pastors, and he would be about 60, I'd be about 50 then, and he got so angry with me, he said, let's go outside and we'll settle it like men. (laughs) He wanted to punch me on the nose, and I said, just do it once and you're sacked. I think, this is men of God talking, David. Come outside and settle it like men. Listen to me. I'm trying to just illustrate very quickly Every step I've ever made, in the day I left the brethren, they read a letter out in the, in the meeting criticizing us for leaving. You were there and told me afterwards. <laughs> and we're smiling, and I'm making you smile deliberately, but I'm telling you, it hurts. What is the purpose of criticism, in my opinion, is to try to paralyze you. And when you're paralyzed, you lose your focus. And you don't go on to do what you're supposed to be doing. Because the fear of man is a snare. But those who trust the Lord shall be saved. And it's, it's, it's an incredibly... Mine's very minor. Some of you at work have faced awful criticism because you've dared to name the name of Jesus. I was an engineer... I'll try to be an engineer. Wasn't a very good one. I spent eight years at Derby Locomotive work, eight years at British, uh, the Rolls-Royce nuclear. They found me out in both places that I wasn't very good at it. 
Some of you have got very difficult home lives where when tensions come, the first thing they do is criticise your... You're supposed to be a Christian. You go to church, you do. So I understand in whatever walk of life that you're in, I believe this one thing has affected millions of people from ever fulfilling what they're supposed to be doing. And they come at Gideon. But you know, there's a great principle here in this verse 1 and verse 2. He gives a very strange response. He talks about what are the gleanings of my grapes compared to your grapes, you're so good. And I'm reminded of that proverb that says this, a gentle answer turns away wrath. And I found one of the greatest weapons to move forward when you're facing criticism is not turn to justification mode, not to try to vindicate yourself, but a gentle answer turns away wrath. Notice it says there, and this it subsided against so it. You see, this man, Gideon, wanted to keep his focus. And to keep his focus, he was prepared to be criticised, but God, believe, I believe, gave him a wisdom that, that helped these people to settle down, all because there's still 15,000 waiting to be attacked, and there's a job still to be done. And I just wonder, rhetorical question, we'll come back at the end. Um, I don't mind, look, I put my watch off. <laughs> just trying to give you hope. <laughs> I wonder whether there's somebody here and you sat here, you know, that's, I've lost my focus. I've stopped doing what God called me to do because people criticize me. Second thing I see here, verse 4. So he finished despite criticism. Second thing, verse 4, he finished despite fatigue. You know, if I was preaching this at a 2,000-strong conference... I wouldn't do it, because I hope I've got more integrity, but we've all been there. I could preach this, like, you miserable bunch, why don't you? This man did it, he was exhausted, he still kept crossing up. Stop whinging about being tired. Get on with keeping on what you're supposed to be doing. There's people going to hell while you're sat on your blessed assurances. Come on now, let's keep going, let's move forward, let's get out of here. Forget your leg fell off, you've got another one, move forward. I don't care, you've had 27 funerals this week. Come on, you've got no guts in ya. Now, there was a time probably 40 years ago that I used to hear that kind of preaching. But exhaustion is a massive issue. Tiredness, they were exhausted, yet keeping up the pursuit. And I just began to think around this, and I began to think about my life, you know. I've got to tell you, I'm still travelling 45 to 50,000 miles a year in the car, um, I spend about 60 nights a year away from Margaret um, doing the job that I'm called to do. And there are days when I don't feel like crossing the road, never mind about crossing Jordan. There's some days I get out of the car and I've got these two artificial knees, as, as you know, that are two knee replacements. It's a life of prayer when I worked in Derby that did it. <laughs> and uh, nothing to do with playing soccer. By the way, Win Owen, Win wins at the back there. He probably caused one of these knees with the times he kicked me when the Chad Gospel all played Elim. You don't, you want, no, I shouldn't tell you that story about the dog. No, I won't do that, Win. Uh, wrong, wrong place. 
long time. I've got a red light. I'm getting, I'm getting better as I get older. I get red lights, so I stop myself making silly mistakes. Anyway, I've been exhausted. A couple of years ago, I was really exhausted. Well, I wasn't sinning. I thought, I'm just tired. I'm tired of getting on the motorway. I'm tired of going to go to another pastor who won't listen to me and will continue to make the same mistakes and people will still leave their church because they've read something from America that's going to change their life. And you're thinking to yourself, have a word with yourself. But they don't listen to you. And then when it all goes pear-shaped, they write to my boss and say, it's me, I'm, 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 I'm the problem. Exhaustion. Have you ever been exhausted? Have you ever been wearied in doing good? Hope deferred makes the heart grow sick, weak. So I want to suggest to you, from my reading of the book, three things that helped Gideon, I, I believe, three things that have certainly helped me in my life to keep my focus. They all begin with V to help you, those one or two are making notes. First thing I would say to you, when you feel like you can't go any further. It was the Lord saying he'll be finished soon. Chapter 6, chapter 6 and verse 14 is the first thing I would suggest to you that says this, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Last words, am I not sending you? The first V, when you get exhausted, you've got to remember the voice from the past. The voice that called you and said, this is what I'd like you to do. And there are times when we forget that voice. In my world, church world, some churches, some leaders I know have six problems and then go on the stationing list because it's, it's tough. It's a bit tough. It's time to move on. There are things that sometimes that only have kept me going in the ministry is the fact that I felt God call me. With all due respect to those people who've recognized that call, I believe God called me. I believe God called me. And there's only that call that sometimes keeps me. Because sometimes out of frustration, out of weariness, and you know, when you're weary, the glass is always nearly empty. It's never nearly full. When you're really, really, really exhausted and you've done everything you know what to do and you're shattered and suddenly things start to look a little bit out of kilter and you want to give up, you want to lose your focus. First thing that I do, am I doing what God called me to do? As far as I know the will of God, at this moment, I am doing what I'm supposed to be doing, but I'm open for him to give me a voice to say, it's finished, Kevin, move on. But where he's placed me, I'm going to keep going. When I was the youth leader here, I did it as best as I possibly could for the number of years that I was here. But in 1990... You won't remember this, but I, I did share it publicly. I'm not thinking, you can think 27 years ago. We were, reading, we were reading the scriptures, and the reading said that night, we've got offered Glasgow, you've been here long enough, go to the hill country. And then we got a whole lot of stuff going through, confirmation that it was time. It was 
heartbreaking to lay down the youth work here. It wasn't, hey, diddly-dee, no more youth work for me. There wasn't, it was great. I'm seeing people like Phil Slack, Phil Shaw, people who were part of the, they were some great days. We had about 120 young people that were down there on a Friday night. It was amazing. And then God said, go to Glasgow. Went to Glasgow. Served there, had the most amazing 16 years of my life. Saw the church go from 45 people to 400. God blessed us in the most of the way. And then God said, Kevin, you finished here. You know, there'll come a day, sometime, when for David, God will say, you've done an amazing job in Derby, but guess what? Finish. But you stay for the till God changes, changes things. You've got, you've got to listen to the voice. Remember the voice that started you off on the journey. And in the absence of a new word, stick with the one that you've got. Don't keep looking for the new word. God's given me a job, and I'm going to keep going until I'm finished. Till he tells me I'm finished. So you've got to remember the voice from the past. Second thing, very quickly, in 7 verse 21, it says this. <laughs> you've got to remember the victories. The second, remember the voice from the past. Second, remember the victories of the present. You've got to remember the good days. Remember all the times God came up trumps for you. In 7 verse 21 it says, While each man held his position around the camps, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. Gideon, I believe, when he's tired and, and they're weary. Guys, remember when God did this? Remember when we had that wonderful breakthrough moment? Remember when God answered that prayer in the most amazing way? Remember the victories. In the same way as I've tipped my hat to people who've blessed me, there are people here, I, I know that in our time here, some of you became Christians. And I'm thinking, wow. I can remember when Gordon first approached me about coming to work for the church. I remember walking our dog. It wasn't Mary, it was Michael. We had a dog called Michael. We just give dogs funny names, I'm sorry. It just is. And I'm asking God, how can I say no and keep my dignity? Because I didn't want to come and... I mean, I remember Gordon saying to me, I'll speak one Friday, you'll speak the next Friday. And I'm thinking, this is absolutely stupid. I, I can't speak like that. I'm, I'm not good enough. I'm from Chad. Hey, up me duck. And I come, and God blesses us. And I think of that, those, some of those youth nights here, they were amazing. I think going to Glasgow and hosting a move of the Spirit in the mid-90s, where we saw prostitutes and drug addicts radically transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Tonight, Dave was saying about pressing and believe God, I'm believing God tonight for really a breakthrough night. Press the record button on X Factor. Watch it when you come home. Come and have an evening with God. I don't think I'll ever change. You can call me a grumpy old man. Probably am. 
But Sunday was always a day when I was a young person. And now it's people come to church. The Evangelical Alliance released some statistics. I think it was two years ago that people report now that there's, there's the vast majority of Christians who go to church once every three weeks, once every four weeks. And they say they're committed. And I have a real problem with that. But press on. Voice from the past. Victory of the present. You've got to have a vision for the future, folks. I wonder what Gideon was thinking when these men are complaining and they're tired, they're exhausted. I would suggest to you he was thinking about that. If we don't go and finish the task, what will these 15,000 people do? Emigrate to Australia? Get a one-way trip to Barbados? No. They would have gone away. They would have regrouped. They would have rearmed. They'd have got re-hatred. And they would have grown the army again. And they would have come again and killed many, many of the children of God. He had a vision for the future. And in one of those books there, I think, I think it's the, the White Elephants, any couple left. I, I, I tell wherever I go the story of a lady in my Glasgow church. When I was inducted, with, along with Margaret, in 1990, they often get the oldest member of the church to give you some flowers. And so this lady, made a name in the book we call her Mrs. Treat, but um, her name was Mrs. Tate. She's in heaven now. And um, she came, gave Margaret the flowers, very quiet lady, she always sat on the back row, and she had a, a disabled son who was about 50-ish with her, who was about seven or eight with his mental capacity. And, you know, I never heard Mrs. Mrs. Tate pray. She's in that book, not because she was a great prayer. She never prophesied. But when I heard her story, I thought, there's a lady who had a vision for the future. She, gets, she got saved in, under George Jeffries in 1927 in um, Glasgow. But when we meet her, she's in her early 80s. And so I said to the tread, tell me about Mrs. Tate. She said she had a really difficult life. In the war, um, when we were at war with Germany, I know we're not now, <laughs> thank God. But in those days, it, it was tough. And they bombed Kleinbank. And one of the bombs hit Mrs. Tate's house. And the roof fell in. And her seven-year-old son was laying asleep in bed. And one of the rafters of the building fell on his head. And that's what caused the brain damage. He wasn't born that way. It was a result of the enemy action and froze him forever as a seven-year-old. Kenneth. Remember him clearly. And I'm thinking, there's a lady who could have quit God. There's a lady who could say to the pastor, if there's a God, why that was allowed to happen, David? I can't believe in God anymore. Never miss church. A few years later, husband came back from the war. He was 37. And he came home and said to his wife, he's working in Govan on the shipyard, he said, darling, I've got the most amazing, terrible headache. I'm going to go to bed. And it was a brain hemorrhage. And he was dead by the morning. So she's left with a young teenager by then. No husband. And I'm thinking, my word, this lady who never prays, never prophesies, doesn't shout out in the worship. She's got hold of God in a way that despite all of the trauma, she's still coming. But the reason she's in the book is not even that. 
The reason we put Herb's story in there was because in the 1970s, if you go to Glasgow today, there'd be probably be about 300 and plus people um, in the, the meeting today, um, this morning. And the offerings would be between four and five thousand pounds. It would be a happening church. It's a really great church. James Glass is doing an awesome job there. Too thin, but other than that, he's doing a great job. And um, but in the seventies, the church was struggling. And in the seventies, the church was on the point of closing. And for two years running, they couldn't pay the electric and the gas, the lecky. And they were having meetings amongst the 17 people that came to the church. Can we keep going? Mrs. Tate had enough vision for the future that two years running, no husband, disabled son, cancelled her one holiday, doing the water, as they say in Glasgow, down the Clyde, gave the church the money to keep the church open. I think in heaven that lady's going to get some crowns that people like me will not get because I tell you, she believed that Glasgow had a future. I am so grateful she lived enough time to see the the move of God, the church get up to 200 plus people. And I remember she was my greatest advocate back in the 90s when this wonderful move of the Spirit was going on. People were not sure, is this God or not? Whenever people brought doubts, I brought Mrs. Tate on. 82. So tell us about 1927. She said, it's just like today. Church feels just like 1927. It's just the same, the same atmosphere. It's a bit noisier than it was then, but it's absolutely amazing. And she was my greatest advocate in the move of the Spirit. You know, we've got to have vision. If you don't, who will? If you don't complete your task that God's given you to do, who's going to do it? If you've not got a vision, I pray today God will begin to plant seeds. It's never too late. Some of you are here, I know, will probably say, well, you know, if I was here 10 years ago, that might have helped me, but I've been divorced six times since then. And uh, I've had 42 children by 82 different men. And surely I'm I'm not qualified. Listen to me. If you're breathing, you qualify for destiny. You qualify that God wants to use you, young, middle-aged, or old. Final thing. Have I got time for one more point, David? Just looking at David. I am told piranha fish will eat me at a certain time if I don't finish. What time is it? 5 to 12. Need to finish. Last point. So, victory. Voice from the past. Victory of the present. Vision for the future. And the final thing is verse 21 and 22. What do they try to do here? By the way, great to see Rob Hawley there. Is that Rob? Hi, Rob. Have you been naughty? I wondered when I heard you read the scriptures. I thought, what are you doing at the back there? But good to see you. Take care. Safe home. The last point's a good one. The final thing in the verse 2, I'm going to finish with this. Flattery. This, is, this isn't Satan's weapon of mass destruction, but I would suggest this is Satan's rapier. When you begin to believe, it's all about you. They try to say to Gideon, will you be the king? We want you to be the king. Oh, you're, you're the person to be the king. You're such an awesome person. Listen to me. He says, he says, I'm not going to 
be your king. The Lord should be your king. Last night, there was a choice for the telly. Strictly or X Factor. I suspect Michelova, Alastri were probably going a bit towards Strictly. <laughs> I imagine where I come from, Chado, we were all watching Simon on the island of Capri, whatever he was doing. Don't know where you were. But Strictly Come Dancing. It's a dance program where the specialist expert normally takes some rubbish person who cannot dance and makes them look brilliant. Can I tell you something? That is an amazing picture of what happens when you give your heart to Jesus. He takes hold of the amateur and he starts to lead you on the dance floor of life. And he teaches you some moves on the keyboard. <laughs> he, teaches, he gives you the gifting to play. He gives you the gifting to preach. And guess what? He loves it when you look good. But if ever you forget, it's the partner. It's God who's got hold of your hand. And I've been very privileged. I've preached over the world. I've preached in New Zealand. I've preached in Canada. I've, I've preached in the West Indies. I've preached in lots of places. And I left school at 15. Olive Eden. Last year, messing about. Only Greek word I've ever known is kebab. <laughs> I cracked that joke in the Isle of Man once and a man shouted out, actually, you've got it wrong. Kebab is a Persian word. In actual fact, you know no Greek. <laughs> I pushed him off the cliff. He's now floating somewhere off the Isle of Man. Like clever dick. Finishing. Guys, never ever believe it's about you. It's not about your worship, not about your preaching. It's about the man who holds your hand. Let's pray. Would you come onto the keyboard and just play some finishing music?